We have a, a ton of guests here today. Um, I wanted to point out the gold insert in your service folder, and if you'd like to make use of that as a resource during our, our service, please do uh, use that as you follow along, and take it home as a Bible study if you look at the Bible study on the back side. <clears throat> the other night, um, our oldest son was out uh, later than usual uh, for a basketball practice, and our, our two sons, uh, they share a room in the basement. And so um, my younger son, Elias, and I had his, his permission to share this uh, story. Um, he was a little bit uneasy about having to fall asleep and go to bed all by himself um, in the basement. So we, uh, we talked about it and we prayed about it and tucked him into bed. And then probably about 20 minutes later, um, up comes Elias, and you could tell on his face that he was still um, a little uneasy and a little nervous about being down there by himself. So we went by the basement door, and here's what I said, and, and he can verify this. I said, Elias, see this door? Anything or anyone that is going to go down into the basement has to go through this door. And while I might have some important adult parent type stuff to do upstairs, I, I didn't say that part, but uh, I can't sleep with you in your bed right now. But here's what I will do. I'll guard that door. I'll make sure that nothing that shouldn't be going in the basement will go, won't go through the basement. I'll guard that door. And whether it was you know, just really good parenting... Um, or probably just the factor that he was very sleepy, um, Elias fell asleep. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Much like a doorway to the basement, that anything that gets down there has to go through that doorway, the Bible speaks about how your heart is a doorway. That the things that come out of your mouth, whether good or bad, they've traveled first through the doorway of your heart. That actions or attitudes, whether positive and godly or negatively and sinful, their root, they have gone through the doorway of our hearts. That sinful actions come from hearts that have sin in them. And that godly actions, faithful actions come from hearts that also have God living in them. And so when Solomon writes about, you know, as a Christian and in your life with God, in Proverbs chapter 4, he writes this about what is most important. He writes, above all else, guard the basement door. <laughs> above all else, guard your heart, because it is through the heart with which words and actions and attitudes will come. And that's exactly why we're doing this series that we might better recognize the things that are attacking our heart and the things that we need to be aware of behind the curtain. So if you were here last week, you'll know that we talked about temptation. That little voice that affects your heart, you come at a crossroads, you could do either what you know God wants you to do or what might seem more fun or easier or better, but you know it's not what God wants you to do. And we learned that it's more than just an issue of personal self-control. Temptation is more than just a personal issue of whether you can stay away from that last scoop of ice cream or not, all right? That real temptation is a spiritual battle. 
and that it's an important one because the more you give in to that temptation or to that battle, that eventually giving into it over and over and over again can lead a person right out of faith. So we talked about doing what? Instead of acting like a five-year-old playing mini-golf, you know how they just kind of hit the ball, hit the ball, hit the ball down the, down the green carpet, that when temptation comes, instead of reacting so quickly to pause and to think about, what's at stake here? Am I going to trust my wants and desires, or like Jesus in the desert, will I trust God's promise here and know that my God is bigger than my desire and will give me exactly what I need? To pause and to trust God knows best. Today, it's no surprise at this point what we're talking about. We're talking about guilt. And um, what is guilt? Well, if I could use an illustration, I already used a backpack. Um, guilt is like this big old heavy suitcase that people tend to carry around with them. And the reason why it's behind the curtain is because you might see certain personality or attitude traits that let you know something's going on in there, but you don't physically see them carrying this suitcase around. That guilt is something that people carry behind the curtain. And we've all been there. We've all, in one way or another, felt guilt. If you ever lied to your parents, you know what guilt feels like. If you ever cheated on a test, even if you didn't get caught, you know what guilt feels like. If you've ever lied to your spouse, or maybe right now are in a lie with your spouse or someone close to you. Not being totally honest, you, you may be feeling guilt. A suitcase filled with my books. <laughs> a suitcase that you're carrying around everywhere you go. And for some of us, guilt pops up just in certain circumstances and situations, different seasons of life for others of you here today. You're tired, you're worn out, you're exhausted because there's this suitcase that seems to be weighing down on your heart that you're carrying around far too long and you just like to leave it behind. I think today can be that day for you. But before we talk about that, I think we need to unpack what guilt really is. Okay? Now, there's a couple different types of guilt. Um, there is the type of guilt where you feel guilty because you'd like to give your children more or because um, you'd like uh, to, to be there more and all those sorts of things, and it's just physically not possible. That's a, a different type of guilt for a different sermon, okay? I'm talking about a specific type of guilt. I'm talking about the type of guilt you have when you know you said or did something that God did not approve of. Or it might not just be between you and God, that you know, you know you said or did something that was sinful, and it was sinful against God, but it also was sinful or hurt someone else. And there was a two-way street going there. And the reason why you feel guilt, or what guilt is, it's like, in the relationship, 
with God or with that person. Things were fair or even, and when you sinned against God or sinned against a particular person, all of a sudden those scales go out of whack. And now you know in your heart you owe something. That there's a debt that needs to be paid. Um, have you ever owed someone money? I'm not talking about like a buck at McDonald's that you, you know, asked a friend for while you're in line. I'm talking about hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. And whenever, if you've ever been in that situation, whether as the, the debtor or the debtee, um, whenever you're around that person, you feel just like there's a shadow over it, like it just feels weird because things are not on an even wavelength anymore, that something is owed. You know what that weird feeling is? It's a suitcase. That's guilt. And if we could pay it back, we would, because we want to get rid of the suitcase. But the problem is, and why you've been carrying around guilt for a while, is that there's a lot of things that you just can't pay back. Things that people feel guilty over. Um, here's an example. How about a dad who his kids are now grown and he looks back on their childhood years and he feels guilty because he knows he prioritized work over family. And you can't get those moments back. You can't get into the DeLorean with Marty McFly and go back to the future and do it over. You can't get those hours back. What do you do? Or maybe it's uh, a wife who decided to take the easy route, and although it wasn't, unju it wasn't justified, um, she opted to walk out on the marriage. And in the moment, she felt like, yeah, this is what I need to do for me. But two years later, a year later, all of a sudden, she realizes, wow, I messed up the life of my husband and of my kids, and this could be a husband doing it to the family too, but wow, what does she do with that? Maybe more applicable <laughs> to some of us might be something that we said or something that um, we did to someone else. Something we said that embarrassed them and it still hurts them. A friend, a parent, a child, a coworker. And you wish you could just take back those words, but not. All the words in the world cannot even it out because it has demoralized that person. It has hurt them. What do, we do with, what do we do with that type of guilt? That type of suitcase that you just can't pay it back. We feel stuck. And that's why we keep carrying it around. Because <laughs> if we could pay it back, we would. But we can't, so we carry it. God's word has something to say about that today. And uh, we're going to turn to a meeting that Jesus had um, with a man who's known mostly for being short. And I have a confession for you. Um, the words you'll find in your service folder are not the right ones. Uh, my confession is that that wasn't Shelley's fault, that was mine. I own that. Um, but the right words you'll find on the screen. So a service folder won't be of help to you today. We turn to Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho, a town, and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, it seems at first blush that this doesn't tell us a lot about Zacchaeus, but it tells us a ton. 
In fact, there is a ton known about Zacchaeus from two words. The words are tax collector. Exactly. That tax collectors, here's how it worked in the Roman Empire. That Rome would hire um, wealthy locals to collect taxes from the people in that particular area. And as part of, or as their pay, they would collect a little bit more than what Rome wanted, and that top would be their pay. Well, have you ever been offered a little bit more? It quickly becomes, at times, a lot more. And that's what happened to tax collectors. That you didn't normally have a middle-class tax collector, you just had rich ones who got rich on the backs of their countrymen. They were considered thieves. They were considered um, swindlers. They, they were considered the scum of society. In fact, when Jesus was talking about sinful people, he had two categories. He talked about sinners and what? Tax collectors. They were worse than the worst. They were considered to be ceremonially unclean, which means they couldn't go in the temple or even in the synagogue oftentimes. They were considered to be traitors because they worked for Rome and the Jews hated Rome. And so Zacchaeus looked on the outside likely like he had it all together. We have a way of doing that. But if you were to look behind the curtain, I guarantee you, and I'll show you why in a second, that Zacchaeus did not have it all together. That he tried to look wealthy and aristocratic on the outside, but inside, you know what was going on? He was carrying a suitcase. He felt guilty. He knew that what he was doing wasn't right, but he was so stuck in the middle of it, he didn't know what to do. The reason why I know he was carrying that guilt, even if it's not said specifically, is because of what he did. He hears that Jesus is coming to town, and he wants to learn more about him. Why? Because there's something in him. Something in him that he hoped Jesus could help with. We know that is guilt. Verse 3, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Who climbs trees? All right, yeah, I see hands of kids, right? Um, how many adults climb trees? How many wealthy aristocratic adults climb trees? Adults don't climb trees. That's kind of undignified type of thing, right? Aristocrats in that time didn't climb trees. It was undignified, but they did if they were carrying guilt and that Jesus may be the only hope they thought of unloading it. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I think that if it was up to Zacchaeus, his guilt would have been so heavy on his heart and life that he would have likely allowed Jesus to pass right under that tree without ever having had a conversation. But did you notice what happened here? It wasn't Zacchaeus saying, Jesus, what was it? 
Jesus stopped. Jesus looked up, and Jesus, who had never met Zacchaeus before, knew what? His name. And then he invited, <laughs> Jesus did, himself over to Zacchaeus' house. You know, why don't you cook a meal for me, right? For good reason. Why did he do that? Because Zacchaeus, or Jesus also knew something else about Zacchaeus. He knew Zacchaeus needed him. And to a guy carrying lots of guilt that all of society would have thought, this guy's horrible. Jesus had time for people carrying guilt. And we don't know all the details of that conversation because the, Luke doesn't record it. But we know in general what happened. That they didn't just talk about, hey, uh, how's the tax collecting going? That in that conversation, they talked about sin. And they talked about guilt. And Jesus must have shared with him who he was and what he had done for him or would do for him. And he must have shared to Zacchaeus that because Jesus had come to earth, he didn't have to carry guilt around anymore because Jesus had come to unload people's guilt and forgive people's sin. And how do we know that? Let's skip ahead to verse 9. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, Zacchaeus, is a son of Abraham, a part of God's family. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Like I said earlier, there's, there's a lot of people here today that, that I don't know that happens every week. But for those that I, I don't know, um, this might be all that you needed to help you leave guilt behind today. To realize that Jesus not only came to give you heaven, but so that you can walk around free here on earth, Whew. you feel lighter already. Now, for many others of you, this isn't brand new information. For many others of you, this isn't something that's brand new, and yet at the very same time, even though you know it, you're still carrying a suitcase around. Why is that? You still think, you know what, I know Jesus forgave me, but in some way I still need to just kind of, you know, make up for it. Or I've got to in some way still feel bad or still feel guilty about that which I did or thought or said. Can I um, teach you something about forgiveness? Go turn to Colossians chapter 2. And uh, Paul writes to a bunch of Christians there in Coloss a town called Colossae. I want you to listen to how he describes what forgiveness does, okay? Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, again, that is, before you became a Christ follower, God made you alive with Christ. You know when your worst moment was with God? It wasn't in that moment of this huge sin or this huge lifestyle you had in the past. That wasn't the worst. The worst moment in your relationship with God was before you knew him. When we were born, before we believed in him, the Bible describes we were dead 
to him. In the sense that our sin separated us from him. (laughs) But it is in that moment when we were at our worst that what does God do? You can't make yourself alive when there was nothing good in you or me. God comes to you at your worst and he through Jesus makes you alive. That was your worst moment. That was your worst time. And God made you alive with Christ and then it continues. He forgave us all our sins. Interestingly enough, if you do a word study on the Greek word for all, you find out that it means, in English, literally, um, all. (laughs) Aren't you glad for my seminary education? (laughs) Everything, like the time that I lied about where I was. Yeah. The time I cheated on that test, yeah. Time I lied to my parents. time that I said something out of anger, and even though they may not have forgiven me yet, God does? Yep. What about big things? What about walking out on a family or a marriage? (coughs) All means what? All. Yeah, you didn't even go to Greek class, right? How about even really big things like David in the Bible? What about adultery? It has consequences in my life, but what about the scale with God through faith and repentance? All. Everyone. And then he continues this way. Having canceled the written code with its regulations and that was against us, that stood opposed to us, he took that list away nailing it to the cross. Now, here, the Greek does help us. Written code there literally means a list, okay? And and it refers in context to a list of laws that God had given us, but that list of laws also is a list of our screw-ups, right? You look at the laws, you see all the ways that you have incurred a debt with God. And what does Paul write Jesus did with that list? Or what God did with that list. He took that debt note and he nailed it to the cross. That list of things, that that credit account, so to speak, where you feel imbalanced with God like you owe him something. He nailed that to the cross with his son. And he's ripped up your sin. He's ripped up your sinful past. And through repentance and faith, a repentant heart, it's gone. (laughs) And so what does that leave for this? If it's been nailed at the cross, where do you think we should take our guilt? I'm going to follow the debt note, right? (laughs) And I am, and you are today. We can leave our guilt at the foot of the cross. And know that through Jesus' blood it's been taken care of. But I know you're pushing back, (laughs) Ben, yeah, all right, that's for lying to your parents. What about if you knew really what goes through my mind or what I've done or the things that I think? All means all. And you still might find something in your heart that is telling you, you know, it can't be that easy. I just, I need to carry that suitcase out of here, okay? Can I um, say something to you that uh, might sound harsh at first, 
but I, I think we've sort of um, earned, I've earned a little bit of your, uh, your equity over the years, and, and so um, I'm going to say it, and at the same time, uh, you're going to see that it comes from a very loving heart. When Jesus tells us in his word that your sins are forgiven, that he's nailed your list of sins to the cross and has wiped them out, when you know and believe and are repentant of that and understand what Jesus has done for you, when we still, knowing all of that and believing, still decide to carry guilt around with us, we're belittling Christ's sacrifice. When we do that, we're minimizing what Jesus has done for us. Jesus gave up his own life, shed his blood to rip up your debt note so that you might live free in heaven and that you might live guilt-free as much as you can here on earth. That the devil wants us to carry this guilt around, but that Jesus says, I've canceled it. Leave it with me. How dare we leave and carry guilt around with us? Jesus died for that sin. And come on, he knows what's in your suitcase. He saw you put it in there. He knows it all. And still to us, he says, your sins are forgiven. The scales, through grace and through Jesus, there's nothing more that we owe. I do think I need to comment real quickly, though, on when you have guilt against someone else. And Zacchaeus actually had that as well, as he cheated a bunch of people out of their money. Listen to what Zacchaeus did as he heard what Jesus had done for him. We go back one verse um, to verse 8 of Luke 19. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus has made things free of charge right between us and him. But over and over again in the Bible, God says that if we owe someone something and can pay it back, that part of repentance is making restitution. And that not only is that what we should do, but that's part of repentance. Now what if it's something you can't pay back? Listen to what James writes. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. Confess to who? God. We talked about that already. This is a different context and a different point. That we also can and should confess to the people we've hurt. That if we can't pay them back, that we ask them to cancel the debt that we owe. That's part of repentance. That's part of forgiveness. And... Even if they are not willing, 
there is still comfort that comes in living in the joy of forgiveness, knowing that you've been transparent with them and have confessed your sin to them. And James' promise here is still yours, that you might be healed. So what about the past? Easier said than done, huh? Wouldn't it be nice if our minds were like computers and you just go into the recycle bin, delete all, right? Put it out of your mind altogether? You can't do that. So here's what you need to do. Rewrite the monument. All right, what does that mean? If you travel to like the Black Hills or to the East Coast or really anywhere in our country, um, you'll come to certain spots where something important happened in history. And uh, there might be some things like this, a stone monument or something that marks that place. It could be a sign, maybe. It could be actually a statue. And, and on those statues or stones are plaques that tell what happened there, right? If we can't remove the monument, I want you from now on today to allow Jesus to rewrite what happened there. So that instead of thinking back at that moment that you can't erase or that season of life that you can't get out of your mind, with God's help and the Spirit's work in your heart, instead of making it a reminder of how horrible and sinful we are, and that's it, rewrite the plaque. That it reminds us of sin, but at the same time, it's all about how Jesus' grace was bigger. May your biggest sins... (laughs) Be for you God's greatest evidences of his love and his forgiveness and his grace. That you look back at those moments and you still feel bad about them, but you don't carry guilt because Jesus said, my love, my grace is bigger than your sins. And that when the devil comes around trying to remind you of your past, making you feel guilty, for a repentant heart who trusts in Jesus, You tell him where your future is and that Jesus has canceled that debt. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, there's so much that are on our hearts and minds individually here in this room. Some very big things maybe that we're thinking of right now. Um, Some things maybe seem a little bit smaller to others. But Lord, all those sins, all, you've canceled, you've taken care of. And Lord, I'd ask you to help us in the great news of forgiveness and by faith to leave this place today, leaving our guilt behind. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this time in our our service, uh, we have a chance to uh, give of the first fruits of our family budgets as our ushers will be gathering those thank offerings now. At the same time, if you would uh, be so kind as to take a moment to fill out the black connection books that you should find on either end of the row, if both uh, guests and members would be so kind to do that, it would be much appreciated. Thank you.
invite you to please stand. Um, thank you. During the uh, next four weeks, starting today, um, there's going to be a little bit of extra information each week about our Forward in Faith um, campaign as we look to uh, pay off and new land and eventually build there. Um, today we'd like to, uh, in our prayers, remember um, Forward in Faith. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a great God. You richly blessed us as individuals, as families, and as a family of believers. We look to our pasts and we see your hand blessing us throughout our lives. We're grateful to you and grateful to be yours. Lord, we're grateful to also be used by you to take what you've blessed us with, our time, abilities, and money, and to use these things for your glory. Through the blessings you've given us, you bless many others, and we're humbled that you do. And so, Lord, give us hearts that are eager to go forward in faith, sharing your blessings so that others might be blessed as well. We also continue by praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Lift your eyes, lift your eyes to the one who's reigning over us, for he has overcome.
and is more powerful um, than our sin or whatever else uh, might be ailing us. Um, again, a blessing to be with you. If you're a guest here today and might be also looking for a church home, we'd, we'd love for that place to be Bethlehem. Um, and feel free to grab an informational mug at the Information Center. Or otherwise, please do stay, stick around and talk with either myself or Pastor Steve or, or anyone else, in the, our ushers in the uh, atrium as well. Um, very much encouraged to, to stick around. Congratulations again to the Guild family. And uh, if you have a chance to congratulate uh, Ben or Amy, uh, please uh, do so after the service also. Um, I mentioned earlier that um, we have the next four weeks. Just a, a little bit of a reminder about this thing that God has put before us. We've called it forward in faith, but as we've grown, uh, we've seen that we just need more space. So we purchased some uh, land um, last year. Uh, we don't own it all together because uh, the bank still does uh, at least 40% uh, uh, of it. So um, I'd like to today uh, show you a, uh, a short two-minute video, if I could. I'd like to thank uh, Ben Burke for putting that together for us. Um, so we are about $30,000 short in pledges and um, about, uh, I guess it would be about $200,000 short in the amount received. 
This week in the, the mail, if you're a member of Bethlehem, you'll receive a, a little mailing in there that kind of just reminds you about where we're at and if we can continue to partner together on this uh, opportunity. And also asks you to consider maybe giving more quickly than you had first uh, thought about for two reasons. One, we already need space. And two, each month that we can pay off that mortgage ahead of time, we save thousands of dollars. And so I um, ask you to prayerfully consider that. And uh, there's a, November 18th, there will be a special day to, to give uh, those uh, offerings. Or if you haven't pledged before, a commitment uh, towards Forward in Faith. Um, so prayerfully consider that. Before you leave today, uh, say hello to someone sitting near you. And we'll have our congregational meeting um, probably in about five to ten minutes as soon as we can get ready in here. So thank you.